Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I woke up to an amazing message this morning. I can't share what it is just yet. It may or may not come to fruition, but it's a good ask. It's one of those things that if nothing comes of it, then you're glad to be thought of and you're glad your name is coming up in certain rooms. But it was so good. I had to screenshot and share with my dad, who is very like unfazed. Like I'm like over the moon about it. And I'm like, look, dad, look. And he was like, yeah, that ain't going to be the only people calling. And I was like, it's kind of a big deal. And he was like, there's more coming. More? You don't think this is enough? And he was like, no, dream bigger. Sir, I got on a plane and moved to Africa. Bigger than this? Apparently. I was like, what, what exactly does that look like? Because I've been waiting on the sign. Actually, I think the sign came yesterday. I keep looking for something like, you know, big and dramatic. A, a, a burst of thunder and then lightning and then like a vision appears in my living room. And it's like, hey, so this is the sign. That's what I'm looking for. I don't, I don't know if signs work like that. No more earthquakes. Don't say no more earthquakes. Those were terrifying. I mean, mission accomplished. The earthquakes got me to Ghana, but I was like, no more. Let's try something else. Even though that's effective, let's go another route. Cause that like made me think I was losing my mind. But I went to this museum yesterday. Actually, let me back up. I found a driver. That's been one of my hurdles for like the last couple of weeks that I've been here. I've been zooming around in Ubers for the most part. part. And because I live really central, when I meet up with my friends, somebody just drops me off at the house because it's usually like two minutes away from wherever we are. So that's convenient. But now that I'm pretty settled and I have my basics, I want to do my road trips. Ghana has a bunch of resorts that are probably two, two and a half hours away. I want to see nearly all of them. I want to do weekend trips. Also, when I start bopping country to country, I need somebody to pick me up from the airport because trying to negotiate a taxi at the airport is not going to cut it. So I needed a driver. Um, Also, I told you the story how I was here in January and I couldn't get an Uber and I had to walk back to my Airbnb, which luckily was only 30 minutes away. I mean, in heat, but still it was a walkable distance. But at the same time, that feeling of being stranded and not able to get home, like I was safe. It was daylight. Everything was fine. So I didn't feel a sense of danger, but I did feel a sense of abandonment. So I have a deep-seated fear of going somewhere and not being able to get back home. There's this restaurant. Like, everyone and their mother knows about this restaurant. There's a black guy from Chicago. His name escapes me at the moment, but he runs this restaurant called Jerk Soul. Caribbean cuisine with, I think, some Ghana flair, which sounds wonderful. Like, this mix of cultural seasonings works for me. So I want to go to his place, but it's like 40 minutes away. And I don't know if they have Ubers or Bolts conveniently up there. And I just don't want to be stuck. Like, I know I'll be able to figure it out how to get home, even if I have to pay a taxi a ton of money to get home. But I just don't want the inconvenience. I just need to know that I can push a button and a car will come. Or there's one waiting for me in the parking lot. So, enter Maxwell. Um, I, w- I was running errands last week. Remember I was talking about, like, I couldn't get notebooks or wine opener? There's this place here, kind of like Ghana's version of a Walmart, if you will. There's just a little bit of everything. I literally went in there with a cart and pushed it up and down every aisle and and took what I needed. And they had a bunch of stuff, including my wine opener and a bunch of notebooks. I bought like six notebooks. I don't know how I moved over here without a bunch of notebooks. Like anyone who knows me, I always have a pocket-sized notebook 
in my purse. My grandfather used to carry a notebook and a pen around all the time. He was always scribbling in a notebook, but it's something that I picked up. And and I just like to write things down. I'm one of those people that's constantly making lists. And so not having a notebook for those first two weeks was driving me nuts. Like I would type it in my notes on my phone, but it's just not the same. Like I just really like just to have a notebook. So I found a bunch of notebooks. So I got like two big ones and two medium ones and two small ones. And I am in heaven. I use them every single day. So I called an Uber when I got out of the store and it was rush hour when I was leaving. He asked me if it was okay. And he was like, you know, there's, there's a direction that Uber wants me to take. But do you mind if I take you another way? Because it's faster. And did. I mean, it was over unpaved road. He drove over it like a G. I had on my workout clothes that day. Luckily, I had on a sports bra because there's roads in Ghana like a regular bra would not do. But he got me back to my place quickly and safely. Nice guy. Clean car. And he's really cute, too. It's, it's a bonus. It's a cherry on top. But I asked him, do you drive full time? Because I'm looking for a driver. I told him I wanted to go to this museum that was really far out. And I was like, you know, have you heard of it? And he said he hadn't. So I was trying to explain to him where it was. I sent him, a, I sent him the name of the museum and such. And he called over to the museum and got the GPS coordinates. And I just liked that he was proactive. So I was like, all right, well, we'll, we'll give it a whirl and see how it goes. It was an adventure. We drove... I don't even know what part of town it was. It's, it's like an hour and 45 minutes out of Accra. When we finally got to the coordinates that they gave us, it was just like the middle of a street. Like you could turn left, turn right. And we couldn't figure out which way to go. So we had to ask some local people. And they told us, they were like, oh, and pointed to this sign. And they were like, the sign is right there. And I was like, that teeny ass sign? I mean, it was tiny. It wasn't even the size of like, you know, a street sign. It was a teeny tiny ass sign, like a little arrow. And I was like, how is anybody supposed to see that shit? And then we turned onto the road. We drove for like a good two miles on what looked like Georgia red dirt, unpaved through like the middle of a farm. And then all of a sudden, like these gorgeous statues appear and we're like, oh, this must be it. So it was a really good exhibit. This museum you got to go on my Instagram to see the name of it. You know, I can't pronounce it. These African names are giving me a time. I asked the guy to say it to me slowly yesterday. He did it two times and I was like, okay, got it. And then lost it. It's guesstimated, according to my tour guide, that every West African family lost at least one member to the slave trade. So this museum is dedicated to... Those either stolen or sold, because people did get sold. Everybody wasn't kidnapped. The either stolen or sold Africans that were captured by white folks and were put on ships to go across the Atlantic. And so the museum, and it, and it has many exhibitions. I'm just going to talk about the one that's, that's the most impactful. The museum asked visitors, Africans, to sit for them and they make these realistic sculptures of their faces. All of the sculptures are in anguish, pain, agony, despair, because these are people who have been stolen from their families, put in dungeons, put on ships. And the artists are so amazing the gentleman who gave us the tour, and by us, I mean me and my driver, he wouldn't let me out of his sights. 
So the beginning of the tour, we were standing in like the front of the building and there's like there's um, the statues I was telling you about when you pull up. He was chilling by the car. He was wandering around like the outside grounds. And so the guy started taking me behind the building and my driver like ran around and was like, hey, he asked him in tree. I'm assume he said, where are you going? And the guy answered him in English and he said, oh, the rest of the museum is this way. And he said, oh, okay. And then he just like trailed behind. And then it got really interesting and he caught up and was like part of the tour. So I was like, it's fine. Okay, so there's about 10 artists or so. They have constructed 3,000 to 3,500. They've lost count of these sculptures and put them in what looks like a graveyard outside. It's hard to describe, but I posted the pictures on my Instagram. Um, I think I put it on all my platforms. But you walk down this long pathway and then you get to this point where you see what looks like small tombstones in the distance. But, but, uh, as we got closer, the guide stopped us and he said, I need to perform a ritual because this is sacred space. No problem. Takes off his shoes, takes off his hat and he yells, I go. I go, I go, I didn't know what it meant. It was explained to me later because literally social media is the best. I was like, I think he yelled at go three times. And people were like, that was the equivalent of like a verbal knock saying like, we are here. We come in peace. Even before he asked us to wait while he essentially greeted the ancestors and asked permission to enter their space. We were walking along and I knew that these sculptures were there. Like I'd specifically gone to this museum to see this exhibition. But seeing it in person versus seeing pictures of it, I think the scale of it as well. Like, you know, people who had posted pictures, there were maybe like, you know, 20, 30 heads in the picture. But when you walk into, you know, 3,000, it has a bigger impact. It's kind of like... um if you've ever been to Arlington Cemetery in Virginia, just seeing all those crosses everywhere that represent somebody that has died in battle for America, it's a lot of lives lost. The, the mass number of it hits you. So that's what happened when I walked up. So I was walking up and I saw it in the distance and it was coming along. And then I saw like the full scale of it. And I literally just stopped in my tracks. And if you've been following me for a long time, you know, like I used to go to plantations all the time. It was kind of like my thing. I've been to Cape Coast Castle in the dungeons twice during daylight, once after dark. I've been to Elmina Dungeon. I've been to some really harrowing places before. I've never been stopped in my tracks. I've never been so afraid of something. Actually, that's not true. I was going to say I've never been so afraid of something. I didn't want to get close to it. But I went to this exhibition in Montreal that had life-size figures wearing Klan costumes. And I couldn't approach the figures. The terror of the Klan is deeply instilled in me like most black people. That's the only other time I've been like really too afraid to approach an exhibit. But this one, like I stopped in my tracks and then... Our guide asked if he, our guide asked us to wait to perform a ritual. And then we entered the space. And I just wanted to burst into tears. The realism of the statue, because it's real people's faces. 
and the faces are all twisted in agony. I don't think I ever really thought about like the true agony. You know, there were pregnant teenage girls or there were mothers with with two sons or there were children who had been completely separated from anyone they knew who were just there or I don't know like the details that 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 give people humanity what really fucked me up women with scarves on women with their hair in braids or twisted or people who were blindfolded that really 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 messed me up Some of the sculptures also had, um, I'd never seen this before, but it's this, uh, this neck device that limits your movement. The first time I'd seen it was when Oprah did that, um, that beloved movie. And I was like, what the fuck is that? But some of the statues were wearing it yesterday. They have chains, um, and brands like just sitting out. This is something that I also saw at, um, Elmina Castle. And I was like, is that a real brand? And he was like, yeah. In the States, all this stuff is behind glass. Like, you can't just go and, like, pick it up or anything. There's a place in New Orleans that let me pick up, um, literally, like, the ball and chain. It's also a, one sitting out in Elmina Castle. And they were like, oh, you want to pick it up? I was like, I'm, I'm good. It, w- it was emotionally, like, really bad is the word I want to use. Um, hard. Just hard. Like, I just, I just had, like, this huge lump in my throat. There was this part of the museum where the statues are in, in, um, in water. And that's supposed to represent the middle passage. And just seeing them like, you know, the statues on the ground was bad enough. Like it, it definitely gives you the feeling of bodies in a mass grave. Grave. I think I called it a graveyard before. And I guess a mass grave is kind of a similar thing, but much different. But the statues that were sitting in the water are the people who either jumped overboard I've heard the stories of Africans who jumped overboard rather than than go to wherever these white people's ship was taking them. I think that's a popular enough concept. I remember it was even mentioned in um, in Black Panther. Michael B. Jordan says he wants to die and he says, like, throw his body in the Atlantic Ocean with his ancestors who didn't want to be slaves, something like that. But the guy yesterday was talking about people who would be thrown overboard for various reasons. Maybe the ship was too heavy. Maybe this person was sick and wasn't going to make it. They didn't want this infected person to infect others. So over you go. I don't know, whatever reasons. But there's a lot of bodies of black people in the middle of the Atlantic. And just seeing these faces in, which is really interesting too. It's like no two faces had the same expression. I don't think I realized until yesterday that there are so many two expressions to convey fear, horror, despair, anguish, terror. It was a lot. After we toured that exhibition, we were walking back to the main building and the guide asked me what I thought. So I shared some thoughts with him and I also was telling him about the Whitney Museum in New Orleans or not really um, outside of New Orleans. Um, every year after Essence Festival, I would usually, I would, I would rent a car I would drive about an hour. I think it's Edgar, Louisiana. And there are about, I don't know, 12, 15 plantations that are still standing and most can be toured. And out of all of them, the Whitney Plantation is the only one that solely focuses on slavery from the perspective of enslaved people. And 
they have several exhibitions. One of them is statues, busts of enslaved people who rebelled. And when caught, they were beheaded and their heads were placed on stakes up and down this main road that everyone had to, that everyone passed through to remind the enslaved folks of the consequence of rebellion. So at the Whitney Plantation, they have, I don't know, maybe like 12 to 15 heads on stakes, black people's, and the faces display ranges of agony, despair, rage, terror, much like you know, what I witnessed at the museum from yesterday. And so I was telling the guide about that exhibition. And then also at the Whitney, there is a memorial to children. I don't know if they're under three, under five, but children, enslaved children who had passed or been killed in that particular parish. And in the center of the memorial, there's this big, gigantic angel. It's clearly a black woman holding a newborn to basically say God, you know, is protecting the souls of the dead children. He's looking at me in sheer horror as I'm explaining this to him. And I was like, bruh, did you see what we just left? But he'd never heard of the Whitney. He did tell me about a museum in Alabama where there is a sort of like a miniature version of the museum I saw yesterday. I cannot remember the name of the museum. I've never been. But we're like, what is, we're having this conversation. I was like, you all should really be in contact with the Whitney Museum. Like there's some sort of, I don't know, exchange program between like the Whitney Museum and then this museum and, and the Cape Coast Castle and the Slave River. It should really be like a whole transcontinental thing. You start at the Slave River for the last bath before folks get to the castle and that last bath has to last you like a good two, three months. And then you go to the castle and you find out what happens there. And then you go to this museum I went to yesterday and you find out what happens during the Middle Passage. And then you go on over to the Whitney and you find out what happened after people arrived. Might have, you could stop in Charleston, go see the old slave mart so you can see what the auction block looked like. I mean, just make it a whole full thing. I say all that to say, I'm walking back and I'm explaining to this guy about the Whitney and this whole thing comes to me and I was like, oh, I think that's your purpose in Africa. It's not just to go and tell people what you saw and show people what Africa looks like. I mean, that's a thing too. So I'm going to start working on it. I think I'm supposed to connect all these museums. So I'm going to start working on that. Maybe that's the first part of the assignment. But it came to me like so very clearly. Like you start here and then you do this and then you do that and then you do this and you do that. I was like, there should be some sort of program or some sort of tour or some sort of something. I'm not sure what it is. But the first part of it came to me yesterday. And I was like, oh, okay. It's very clear. It's very like Paul Saul on the road to Damascus. Like there's this big voice from Jesus that says like, why are you persecuting me? And like, who is this? This is the person you're persecuting. Like it wasn't that because I'm not like persecuting anyone. And it wasn't the big booming voice. It was just kind of like flooded at once. But anyway, I posted about this museum yesterday. It went viral. And I woke up this morning to like this amazing message. This won't make any sense until I can actually tell you what it is. So let's just move on to the next topic. There's good black news this week. Russell Wilson, much derided, most often by the cat man, the dirty cat. 
Every time I want to try to like that dude, because he does have personality. Every time I want to try to like that dude, he says some more dumb shit. Like the guy with the podcast, the light skinned guy who likes to like play like a dirty cat. We talked about him several times. Um, the last time we talked about him, he was talking about how he and his wife like to go to these nude resorts. And he was trying to tell Kevin Hart. And Kevin Hart had exactly the, the entire reaction that everyone at home was thinking, listening to this dude. He was like, I'm sorry, excuse me, what? Say that, say that again. Say that, say that one more time. You do what now? <laughs> he, dude said it. Like, doesn't everybody like to go to a nude resort and walk around with their spouse, be free, shave their dick? Kevin was like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. He had some more commentary about Russell. It, it wasn't recent. But he said something. He was like, I would never be friends with Russell. And I was like, does Russell want to be friends with you? Like, it, it's not like, you know, Russell reached out to you and was like, hey, can we be friends? And you were like, no, Russell doesn't give two fucks about you. That man is hanging out with his beautiful wife and his beautiful children and having an amazing career in which they are paying him out the ass for. I didn't know he got signed to a new team earlier this year because I don't follow football like that. Apparently, he left the Seattle Seahawks. He went to the Denver Broncos, and he signed, as of what, yesterday morning, a five-year contract for $265 million American USD dollars and dineros. $165 million is guaranteed cash. That's nuts. Is Russell Wilson that good? I mean, I know he's good, but is he that good? I guess he is. They paying him a quarter billion dollars. Like, that's, that's a lot of goddamn money. And it's not like this is his first contract. The one before this was huge too. I don't remember what it, I don't remember the exact numbers, but goddamn Russell Wilson. And men be steady like Russell Wilson's corny. No one cares. No one cares. I also like to remind people we are not in high school. Like, what is this popularity contest bullshit? Niggas be 35 years old, married with four kids, talking about I'm cool. Does it matter? Who cares? Like, are you a rapper? I mean, rappers' careers are based on their, their cool factor. Like, I mean, it actually matters. But if you are not indeed a rapper, I mean, who? Do I care? Congratulations to Russell Wilson and the Wilson family. Look, if y'all don't get on a goddamn yacht and give us family vacation every summer, if y'all don't give us good stunting, I would like to see it. They be conservative with their money. I'm like, can you spend some money like magic so we can like, you know, fawn? I just want to fall in just a little bit. Serena Williams, she's at the U.S. Open, which for me is bittersweet. She's doing well. I read that she, I read earlier today she advanced to the third round. She beat the number two player in the world. I don't know who that is. Serena, Venus, and what's the black girl looks like? Barbie. She got, I think she got married earlier this year, last year. I can't remember her name. Her. Those are the only ones I pay attention to. The black girls. But Serena has advanced to the third round, which is good, which is great, which is what I want. She and Venus are playing doubles, I think, today, which is great. But Serena also said she was retiring. We talked about this when she did the cover of Vogue. Serena said she was retiring from tennis after the U.S. Open. So this is very bittersweet to me. Like, I want to see Serena play. I want to see Serena win. But this is it. Ain't no more Serena after this. I mean, not as a tennis player. I don't know what to do with that. It makes me kind of sad. Also, I guess some good black news this week. Shikari Richardson. Running Shikari. Track Shikari. She competed earlier this week in the World Athletics Continental Tour Silver Competition. 
Um, I'm reading this on Yahoo. They said this competition um, in baseball terms, it's the minor leagues, but it's a very big deal because Shikari beat Olympic champion Elaine Thompson Hara in the women's 100 meters. Now, this is very, very good because Shikari, she had a big win to qualify for the Olympics. And then her mother passed away. She smoked some weed. It was in her system. She got disqualified for the Olympics. Her next two meets, she didn't do so good. One of them, I think she came in dead last. So people thought like, oh, that first one was a fluke. And, you know, this girl blew her Olympic career and it's a wrap. But apparently it's not. Shikari infamously was the star of Kanye's video. What album was that? Was it the first Donda? The song, He's Done Miracles On Me. I guess he did miracles on her. Good for her. A lot of people don't like Shikari because she talks big shit. And not even like really crazy. I mean, she's, she's confident. After she won the competition that sort of put her on the map that everyone started paying attention to, I remember she told an interview, she was like, I am that girl. And people were like, oh, she should be more humble. Why? In that moment, she was that girl. In this moment, she is that girl. So I hope she can keep the consistency. I want to see her win. She made dumb 20-something mistakes. And given the circumstances, like, I get it. I wish she wouldn't have done it, but I get it. I like to say this about people. She didn't kill anyone. Nobody died. Like, she smoked weed and didn't make it to the Olympics. The person who was most hurt by that whole situation was Shikari. But everyone else seemed to be, like, so very upset with her and write her off. She's a young woman who did some dumb shit. I hope she don't do that shit no more. You know what I'm about to say. There is grace for those that seek it. I don't really think that she fucked up to the point where people shouldn't have been extending her grace. She back. I hope she stays on top. I don't know if this counts as good black news. I found it wonderful. I know I'm not supposed to be watching Mike on Hulu. I know I'm not. It's not even that good, but I can't stop watching. Mike Tyson's life? It is not even telling us anything new about Mike Tyson's life. Like, it's just a really well-told story. And Trevante as Mike Tyson is pretty fucking amazing. And I'm saying this as somebody who doesn't even like Trevante. I feel the necessity to say that. I strongly dislike him. But he's amazing as Mike Tyson. On this week's episodes, it's three and four. The third is about Robin Gibbons. The fourth is about Don King. Three minutes into the episode... Trevante, his body, he worked out for this role. God bless him for all the work he put in in the gym to achieve this modern miracle. He looks amazing. But he's having sex with this woman, butt ass naked, but with a heavyweight belt on. Body is amazing. Just watch the first five minutes just so you can see this, this beautiful work of art. A great something. A great something. You know what else I was thinking about watching this, um, <laughs> this Hulu show? Mike Tyson and Robin Gibbons were, I don't even think they were 25 when they got married and divorced. They were only married for eight months or so. They were both like 21, 22, maybe 23. I don't think I realized how incredibly young they were. Also, I felt really bad because, because Robin Gibbons has been demonized because of that 2020 interview where she told what I think is the truth about Mike Tyson. There was this image that was painted of Robin Givens and her mother. They were these gold diggers and they came to run through the money of this, you know, naive black guy who everyone loved. It's, it's so weird how sometimes 
Tyson can be depicted as as childlike and naive. And then like a sentence later, he's described as this like ferocious monster beast. I really wish that the way the New York Times went back and they did documentaries on on how on Britney Spears and how she was treated by the media, by Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson, like the fallout from the Super Bowl, um, again, involving Justin Timberlake. I really wish they would go back and do a, a retrospective on Robin Givens and view her marriage to Tyson and that 2020 interview specifically through a 2021 lens. Because I think, I think it would be seen much different today. I think it would be seen as a cry for help as opposed to why is this woman, why is this, this demon woman and her demon mother, like why is she saying these things about this man? Like, like why is she telling the truth? I was also thinking about Robin Gibbons, how in her early 20s, like again, like before 25, she dated this guy and they were both really famous. She was the black girl on a network TV show. He's the heavyweight champion of the world. This year and a half of her life that she dated, married and divorced someone has defined her public perception for the entire other half of her life. She dated, married, and divorced Tyson over literally a period of no more than two years. And she's constantly associated with him. To the point that something that happened in the early 90s is being depicted on television in 2022. That shit would drive me nuts. I actually felt bad for her watching the show. And it's not even like new news. It's not like anything new is coming out. There's no new content or new information in this in this new series but it's just like the retelling of old shit in a new way also riveting tv and i hate to give kudos to this we talked about this last time too i saw the i guess it's the fourth installment of this irv Gotti murder inc documentary it's riveting it's riveting and the more i watch the more i hate irv Gotti. For, for bringing up that shit with Ashanti. He said he wasn't going to talk about Ashanti anymore because he's been, what did he say? He didn't say dragged. What was the word he used? I don't remember and I don't care enough about Ergotti to Google it right now. You know I got like limited internet. I can't just be randomly Googling stuff. But no, Irv has so many stories and so much life and so many crazy things to share. And Ashanti, of all the stories that he's been telling in this documentary, I dated Ashanti 20 years ago, is probably the least interesting. Okay, it's new news. We didn't know it before. But he really could have just left it as, you know, me and Ashanti dated for a while. Like, all these, like, intimate details about their relationship. Like, Ashanti didn't even sit for the documentary. She didn't want to be bothered. She doesn't want to be associated. Like, leave that lady be. He has so many stories. And I'm like, and you chose the Ashanti route to promote this documentary. Like, I'm watching it despite you doing that. Not because you did. <sighs> Once people started watching it, word of mouth would have made it explode because Irv Gotti is really a great storyteller. And again, Jay-Z and Nas are in it. <sighs> Can we talk about Aries Spears? I don't really want to talk about him. I hadn't planned to. He said some really awful things about Lizzo last week. And... He was critiquing her appearance. I don't want to say the whole thing because it was just it was just so mean. But the gist of it was he said Lizzo had a pretty face and then he compared her body to looking like the shit emoji. And it was just I was like, that's just such a mean thing 
to say about someone. Like even someone you don't find attractive, unless you have like a real personal beef with them. And I mean like real beef, like, like they owe you money or like they disrespected your grandma. Real beef, right? That's just a terrible thing to say about someone. It, it reflected worse on him than it, than it did on Lizzo. Lizzo addressed it while sort of while winning an MTV award. Like she mentioned that, you know, she knows there are people who are talking shit about her. And she was like, I'm not even going to address it. And she held up her VMA and was like, I'm winning, bitch. Which she is. Aries Spears. And speaking about Lizzo, he's having this conversation and he says, before he criticizes her, he says, you know, I'm an all right looking dude. Like, I'm handsome. I was like, in what world? Like, he's sitting there. I'm not going to be as rude as he was. But I'm like, sir, like, you either lack so much water or sleep that you're sitting there looking like you have two black eyes. Your gut is protruding. Your titties are the size of mine. As he's sitting in this interview, you can hear him struggling to breathe because of his weight. And he has the absolute audacity, the audacity to, to critique the appearance, to slander, really, the de- appearance of someone else. You talk about Lizzo's roles. Sir, you have roles. I'm like, do you not have a full-length mirror in your home? <sighs> I told y'all, I think audacity is paying people to use it. It can't just be free. Audacity is paying people good money in USD. To use it. It's the only thing that makes sense. And karma, being the bitch that she is, she might be fat with rolls. She might have been personally offended on on Lizzo's behalf. Because that shit happened last week. Yesterday, the Daily Beast put up a damning story. Aerie Spears and Tiffany Haddish. I was like, how y'all get involved together? Old back-in-the-day comedy shit. The headline on the Daily Beast is, Comedians Tiffany Haddish and Aries Spears accused of child sexual abuse. A Jane Doe and her younger brother allege in a new lawsuit that the comics recruited them into performing inappropriate sexually suggestive acts in sketches when they were minors. Tiffany Haddish was friends with the mother of Jane Doe and her younger brother, John Doe. They're clearly not using their names. John is 15. He's a minor. Jane is 22. She's the legal guardian of her younger brother. And all of this happened when they were much, much younger. I want to say Jane was 14 at the time. Her younger brother was seven. But Tiffany was friends with the, with the children's mother. And she was working on sketches. She and Ari Spears And she asked the mother if she could take the kids and have them act in some sketches that she was working on. The young woman, then a girl, 14, and I'm reading this again on the Daily Beast. She said Spears and Haddish asked Jane to watch in the recording booth a group of co-eds arguing over a Subway sandwich. But then the co-eds began eating the sandwich in a suggestive manner from opposite ends moaning and making sexual noises as they both ate the sandwich in a manner that simulated the act of fellatio. The young woman says that Aries Spears told her to, quote, mimic what she had seen on the screen, including the noises precisely. The young woman, 14 again at the time, says she was nervous and disgusted. She said when Haddish came back, She showed Jane Doe how to give fellatio, including movement, noises, moaning, and groaning. 
The young girl says he said she was physically, emotionally, and mentally uncomfortable. In the case of the seven-year-old, they told the kid's mom that they were filming a sizzle reel for Nickelodeon. But the seven-year-old wound up starring in a video posted on Funny or Die. The title of the skit was Through a Pedophile's Eyes. Again, this is the Daily Beast. It says a representative for Funny or Die told the Daily Beast in a statement that Funny or Die found this video absolutely disgusting and we would never produce such concept. We were not involved in the conceptualization, development, funding, or production of this video. It was uploaded to the site as user-generated content and was removed in 2018 immediately after becoming aware of its existence. The Daily Beast says they reviewed a recording of the video in which Haddish plays the boy's guardian and leaves him with Spears, who plays a pedophile. John, the young boy, seven years old, spends most of the video clad in only his underwear as Spears' character leers at him through two holes cut into a newspaper he pretends to read. During the sketch, the camera zooms in suggestively on the seven-year-old's buttocks and crotch while he plays. Spears sprays baby oil onto the child's back and massages it into his shoulders in one scene. At another point, the child plays with the train in a manner that suggests phallic masturbation. In another sequence, Spears smokes a cigarette while observing the child nude in a bathtub and pours water on his feet. By the time the video ends, the child is peering at his babysitter through a newspaper and rubbing baby oil on his shirtless shoulder. The final line of on-screen text reads, Watch who you leave your kids with. The lawsuit states that John Doe called his mother crying once filming ended. According to the legal documents that the Daily Beast saw, it says both John and Jane continue to live with trauma of what they endured. Jane allegedly struggles to trust people and has developed a social disorder that prevents socializing. She, quote, feels constant remorse knowing that she was only a few feet away when Spears was molesting her seven-year-old brother in another room. She says her little brother places band-aids over the cameras on all his electronics due to an ongoing fear of being watched and recorded. According to the lawsuit, Spears and Haddish are both accused of intentional infliction of emotional distress, gross negligence, sexual battery, sexual harassment, and sexual abuse of a minor. Haddish is further accused of negligent supervision, failure to warn, breach of fiduciary duty, and constructive fraud. The lawsuit seeks general and special damages as well as any appropriate statutory damages. To credit, Aries Spears denies the validity of the claims from Jane and John Doe. Aries Spears did settle with Jane and John Doe years ago. In the, in the settlement, he denied validity of any of the claims. He did agree to stop the distribution, exhibition, and further use of the video. Daily Beast also noticed that Tiffany Haddish did not respond to requests for comment prior to the publication of this story. After publication, an attorney representing Haddish issued a statement on her behalf. 
She says the plaintiff's mother has, quote, been trying to assert these bogus claims against Haddish for several years. Now the mother has her adult daughter representing herself in the lawsuit. The two of them will together face the consequences of pursuing this frivolous action. This sounds like a fucking nightmare. The Daily Beast described it as a nightmare exclusive. I expect Twitter will have the video up any day now since Aerie Spears is currently persona non grata um, and people will make a determination for themselves. If any of this stuff is true, even the first video about having like the teenage girl simulate fellatio even on a sandwich, who the fuck does that with a 14-year-old? And this other one with the 7-year-old sitting around in his underwear, if there's actual video, which the Daily Beast says that they saw, that's fucked up. Like, what, what were y'all thinking? I just, if that video comes out, they are both fucked. And if the Daily Beast, if it was online for a while, and if the Daily Beast has it, I totally expect that it will be on Twitter. Was it Friday? By Monday at the latest. By Sunday at the latest. Holy Twitter, activate. But like, blur the kid's face out when you do it. I mean, it sounds crazy from this Daily Beast description. We'll make a full determination after the video comes out. And it's, it's definitely coming. It's definitely coming. Last but not least, I still haven't read that Megan article and I'm not about to read it now. Chris Rock. Chris Rock has gone ahead and fucked himself to the fullest. He had all this goodwill and sympathy and empathy after Will Smith smacked the fuck out of him at the Oscars in February. All gone. Chris Rock is still on tour. He's been on tour since like literally three days after Will Smith smacked him. He, he said at his stand-up, he said the Oscars called and they asked him to host the next show. He said that's like Nicole Brown Simpson going back to the restaurant. Sir? Sir? You're talking about a lady who was stabbed to death, damn near beheaded. Best case scenario, the killer was never found. Worst case scenario, the killer was charged and went free. Nobody's even been held accountable for that lady's murder. And you making jokes about that shit? It's not funny. It's not funny. It's some real asshole shit. It's the type of asshole shit that got him smacked in the face by Will Smith for talking about Jada's alopecia. Jada was sitting in the audience as a plus one to her husband on his big night. She wasn't the star. She was just there. There was absolutely no reason for Chris Rock to make that offhand unscripted remark about Jada Pinkett Smith. But he did. He got smacked in the face. He still ain't learned his damn lesson. Chris Rock said that dumb shit about Nicole Brown Simpson immediately, immediately. The response was, that's why Will Smith smacked him. Immediately, people were like, yo, where's Will Smith? Smack this nigga again. All goodwill towards Chris Rock is gone. Did it to himself. That's some real self-destructive shit. I hope he has a therapist. For, for you to have all the goodwill of all the people, for all of your past wrongdoings and transgressions to be wiped clean, and then to go and do some dumb shit like that and remind people like, oh, yeah, Will should smack his ass again. He deserved that shit. That was a preemptive smack because Will, Will knew more dumb shit was going to come out his mouth. Will Smith has been all the way redeemed. Watching the next few months, you're going to hear about Will getting casted for new projects. This emancipation film that's been sitting around forever that Apple hasn't released. That's going to get a release date suddenly. He's going to get picked up for new projects. Bel Air is going to come back. Will going to be everywhere and nobody's going to be bothered by it because Chris just redeemed him. I mean, I'm thankful for it as a Will Smith fan. I've been watching random Will Smith movies on Netflix. Like, I just kind of miss Will Smith. It's weird. But Chris Rock just gave everybody permission to start working with Will Smith again. Everybody who was angry at Will Smith on Chris Rock's behalf 
stopped being angry and is now mad at Chris Rock. Nigga, what were you thinking? That's it for today's episode. I'm about to chop this up and edit. It's Friday, 2.32, my time. I'm four hours ahead of the East Coast. So hopefully I can get this done and have time to get my nails done and meet my girlfriend for dinner tonight. We're supposed to go to some really cute restaurant. This one's supposed to have a really, really good view. So we'll see. I have a whole list of restaurants that I want to go to while I'm in Ghana. So this is another crossed off my list. If it's cute, I'll post pictures. If it's not, I won't. (laughs) I'll be back next week, y'all. Have a great weekend. Talk soon. Bye.